Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And Caroline, I feel like the the word addiction is something that comes up so much more in casual conversation by virtue of our celebrity and tabloid culture. There's always someone having some kind of secret addiction revealed. You have oh, even even uh, reality shows about strange addictions. TLC's My Strange Addiction. Yeah. You have shows about hoarding. And intervention. Yeah. There's something we... Modern... Americans and people abroad have have a strange fascination these days. We are addicted, in a way, to addiction. Yeah. Wouldn't you say? I would say. Um, but the fact of the matter is, while we might be taking more of a voyeuristic look at these um, celebrity addictions or people with stranger addictions to, say, eating hair or collecting troll dolls, who knows what? <laughs> the fact of the matter stop, is... Stop talking about me, Kristen. <laughs> Very Sorry. awkward. <laughs> Sorry, Caroline. <laughs> but so many troll dolls. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, addiction um, is something that the medical community has been really trying to get a better grasp of, especially when it comes to how addiction affects women. Because it was only starting in the early 1990s that doctors started realizing that there are some very specific sex-based differences in addiction that might make addiction in terms of substance abuse specifically more um, uh, riskier, I should say, for women. Yeah. Well, also, they've really been trying to pin down the roots of addiction as well, and that's not the easiest thing to do. You know, there's talk about genetics, there's talk about, like, what regions in your brain make you more prone to this or that, Um, but the actual um, root of addiction has has been very hard to pin down. And there was a study published in January coming out of the Yale School of medicine. It was led by Dr. Mark Potenza um, that was looking at brain scans of cocaine dependent study uh, participants and then also a control group of social drinkers uh, who did not have cocaine habits. And they notice a very compelling difference in how that cocaine reward center of the brain um, lights up in female coke addicts versus male coke addicts. Yeah, they found that uh, women, uh, when they were presented with stress cues, had robust activity, they say, in the areas of the brain associated with craving. And this was in the cocaine-dependent women. And they think that women with cocaine dependence could benefit from stress reduction therapies that specifically target these cravings. Looking at men, however, when they presented men with uh, stress cues during the MRI, they found that it was more likely that drug cues would activate those particular craving areas, meaning that men might not benefit as much from therapy as they would from, or I'm sorry, uh, stress reduction therapy as they would from cognitive behavioral therapy. So cravings, the cocaine cravings in men were, in other words, more triggered by seeing things like uh, whatever kind of implements might be used to uh, snort or inject 
a drug, right? Um, something that would remind them of that environment. And it's interesting because other studies have shown that men's cocaine habits tend to be more associated with uh, good times. Mm-hmm. You know, they just want to celebrate; they're having a good time, so they're going to uh, snort a very dangerous drug. Whereas women's is more uh, mood regulated. Yeah, coping. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these studies do talk about the differences, the gender differences, and how and why we use drugs. And ABC News had a story that showed it's it's got a lot to do with motivations, susceptibility, and response to treatment. And studies on estrogen have shown that the hormone might play a big role in women's patterns of addiction because it influences the amount of dopamine released in women's brains in response to things like cocaine or alcohol and sexual activity. And Addictive behavior like this is all focused around dopamine, which we uh, often refer to as the, you know, the pleasure chemical. If you take a bite of a brownie and it tastes really delicious and you feel all warm and fuzzy inside, that's because you had a little hit of dopamine from that chocolate goodness. Exactly. I am addicted to brownies, in addition to eating hair, Kristen. And troll collecting. (laughs) Um, Well, Jill Becker at University of Michigan did a study on rats looking at the effects of estrogen when it's combined with cocaine. And after three weeks, the animals had become sensitized to cocaine, which means, you know, they were exhibiting certain behaviors related to the drug. But Becker found that female rats who received estrogen and cocaine showed 20 to 50 percent more sensitization, excuse me, than the male rats or the females who didn't receive estrogen. And two weeks after having received the drug and the hormone in combination, the rats still exhibited a greater behavioral response to cocaine. So what that seems to suggest is that estrogen might make our our bodies more responsive in a way to addictive substances. Could be. Like that. Um and it's interesting that we're talking about estrogen and hormones because as we'll go into more detail with nicotine addiction, your menstrual cycle plays a potentially large role in how much your cravings for a substance uh, might be. Yeah, this is so weird. Uh, they found that, this is from the Harvard Mental Health Letter uh, study they did. They found that it was harder for women during the luteal phase of their menstrual cycle, which is mid-cycle just after ovulation, to kick the habit. Women who time their quit date to occur during the follicular phase, which begins just after menstruation and ends at ovulation, are more likely to abstain for a longer time. And they think that that has to do precisely with the um, raised or lowered levels of estrogen and progesterone in a woman's body. Um, but going back to a little bit more about nicotine addiction, um, women tend to use smoking to regulate mood and suppress appetite, whereas men are more likely to smoke to improve attention and work performance, ease feelings of aggression, and relieve pain. So again, you have that divergence between more of a mood regulator and something that, um, I mean, I guess if it's if men are smoking to relieve aggression, there's also mood regulation involved, but it's still more of, um, I guess, an environmentally regulated cue. Yeah, and they did look at different types of therapy to kick the habit and found that nicotine replacement therapy, which was developed and tested primarily for men, is less effective in women, and women actually have greater success quitting 
by using antidepressants and support groups, which I, I had never heard that about antidepressants. So it makes sense, though, that the more traditional treatments for things like smoking or cocaine addiction um, work better for men than women, um, statistically, because a lot of those therapies and treatments and medications were developed based around male addiction and based on male patients, which has been a legacy, a long-running legacy of uh, the pharmaceutical industry that they've gotten much better with in recent years, but they're still having to catch up. And then when it comes to alcohol abuse, we've talked about alcohol before on the podcast and how women are catching up to men in terms of our alcohol abuse. And the the thing is, this is really, really not good for us because of sex differences in how male and female bodies process alcohol. Yeah, I feel like it's common knowledge that women have a lower tolerance for alcohol. That's that's something that's been hammered home quite a bit. But the reasons behind it are interesting and could potentially lead to a lot of physical damage. We have lower levels of enzymes that break down alcohol in the stomach and liver, which means we absorb more alcohol into our bloodstream. Yeah, and the thing is, too, doctors did not realize this until 1990. They didn't, they had not figured out the whole metabolic difference between, uh, men and women and how much they're drinking. Um, and, oh, and speaking too to the, the gender gap, um, 7 to 12% of women, I think this is based in the U, United States. This is also from the Harvard Mental Health Letter. Uh, 7 to 12% of women abuse alcohol versus 20% of men. But again, that gap is closing as it has become more acceptable for women to drink openly. Um, right. but, but is that really a gender gap that we want to close? I don't know. But um, talking about the physical stuff, uh, this is coming from Women and Addiction, a comprehensive handbook. Things that contribute to uh, the different effects that alcohol has on our bodies uh, include body weight, proportion of body water, and alcohol metabolism, which all result in higher blood alcohol concentrations in women, which lead to problems like liver diseases, malnutrition, obesity, and ulcers, among... Many other things. Yeah, when you look at uh, substance abuse and the health conditions um, that are provoked by those, such as uh, you know cirrhosis and liver disease, malnutrition, the stakes for women are often higher than the stakes for men. Not saying we're not giving guys, we're not giving you a pass to go out and abuse methamphetamine or anything like that. Um, but uh, we are more susceptible to negative health outcomes. Um, even with uh, cigarette smoking, for instance, women are more likely to develop lung cancer, twice as likely to have a heart attack related to smoking. And also, this is not to say that the female body is is fragile and made of glass, but uh, I think these are these are biochemical differences that, that we need to keep in mind. Um, and because of that, I guess, the potential severity of health outcomes from substance abuse, doctors have um, explored the notion of telescoping. Yeah, the whole idea that women will get addicted faster, shorter period of time, uh, have more severe symptoms along with their addiction, but then seek treatment faster. So the whole process of addiction is sort of crunched for women. And so going back to that women in addiction book, part of the whole thing with telescoping could have something to do with sociocultural differences. 
maybe women, uh, you know, it's, it's viewed more negatively. You talked about how the whole thing of like, you know, women are, are catching up to men in mm-hmm. terms of their drinking because it's more socially acceptable, but it still is viewed negatively. So women are more likely to abuse drugs, usually prescription do- drugs and alcohol at home alone, but then they are more likely to seek therapy. Yeah, it was interesting, though, speaking, uh, this is sort of tangential, but talking about those sociocultural differences. Um, yeah, it's it's certainly become more acceptable for women to drink, women to drink openly. Um, but there, I think there still is a stigma of women and especially mothers mm-hmm. drinking. Um, there was a, a an article that I ran across on ParentDish.com talking about a working mother magazine study of working mothers who drank. And essentially they found that a lot of women working mothers kind of understandably have a glass of wine um, after they get home and the kids are put to bed. But it was painted really negatively as, as though most of these women were endangering the lives of their children. And yet there was no mention in there of, say, working fathers coming home, kind of, you know, hearkening back to Don Draper and Mad Men having a, having a scotch or, or a beer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I think there still is a little bit, um, of a stigma there, but that may also, those sociocultural differences may also be lessening for younger women. It might be more of a general, generational thing that is fading out. Uh, there was a 2010 study in the American Journal of Psychiatry, um, that did not find women having a shorter time to alcohol Dependence. Basically, they didn't find any evidence of a telescoping effect for women, um, younger women mm-hmm. in involved in the study. Right. Does that mean they're just catching up? Does that mean more? It, <laughs> yeah, more we're equal? drinking. We're we're starting to drink as early as the guys do, yeah. essentially, mm. instead of waiting until midlife, hitting the bottle really hard, and then have becoming addicted and seeking treatment once our um once the symptoms are as as bad as a male who's been drinking for a longer amount of time. Right. And that that 2010 study from everything we read, I I judged it to be in the minority. Um because everybody's talking about telescoping and mm-hmm. if they're not using the word, they're just talking about how the the time period for women in addiction is crunched. And that's Dr. Stephen Ross of NYU's Tisch Hospital basically said the same thing. Uh women get sicker and have earlier morbidity and mortality than men, and the psychology behind that has to do with their motivations for using, which are specific and internal, having more to do with mood regulation, as we've mentioned. Well, and that might also explain, too, why women are far more likely than men to exhibit comorbid psychiatric conditions. So, in other words, uh, you have an alcohol addiction, but it usually comes with a side of bipolar. Right. Or, and or some other kind of psychiatric ad- uh, condition. Exactly. And Brenda Illiff, uh wrote for Psychology Today that, you know, some of the issues with women seeking treatment for their addiction, one of them does have to do with mental, uh, mental health issues in that uh, a woman who is addicted might seek treatment for depression or for some mental health issue, but might not actually seek help for the addiction itself. So not covering all the bases. She also said that, you know, women may not receive treatment because they're afraid of being separated from their families, since we're typically the central caregivers. And some women are more prone to view addiction as a social thing, not disruptive to their lives or their families. And there was one study, too, that caught my eye, um, which found that older women especially are having 
a harder time with addiction. This was from a 2008 study by Penelope Ziegler, and she found that substance abuse disorders are becoming more and more common in women over 60 and will become a larger public health issue as the baby boomers reach retirement age. And that brings up all sorts of challenges in terms of identifying addiction in an older population, intervening, and treating them. Because not only might you have health conditions associated with substance abuse, but also just the you know the basic process of aging right i feel like uh i read somewhere that it's it's more unusual to focus on older women with addiction because normally if an addiction is really bad either someone has sought treatment at a younger age or they've just gotten so sick from it that maybe they didn't make it mm-hmm. to an advanced age so it's it, developing kind of subgroup support groups for these older women is very important. Right, because uh, one thing that Shelley Greenfield at Harvard Medical School emphasizes is that women do tend to relapse more often than men, probably because you know, the medical research is only now catching up to specific needs in treatment that women might need. Right, like uh, Specific smoking. needs that women might need. That was... Need, need. Need, need. Well, we talked about uh, nicotine replacement uh, therapy and how that is not as successful for women because it was tested more for men. Mm-hmm. So that's an example of how, you know, women, whatever their age, do need sort of a different focus for their treatment. But we also looked at a 2003 study that focused on younger women from ages 8 to 22. When I first read that, I thought it was 18 to 22 because I thought there's no way that 8-year-olds, yep. second graders, could be in an addiction study. But uh, this is from the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse at Columbia University. And the three-year study found that girls and young women use substances for different reasons than boys and young men do, and the signals of higher risk are different. Yeah, the study pointed out um, some some things about younger women and girls and addiction that I, I wasn't aware of, including um, how girls may develop symptoms of nicotine addiction faster than boys and may become addicted to nicotine before they even become regular smokers. Um, females progress from alcohol use to abuse faster than males. And then just to add some stats around um, the, the gender gaps of substance abuse that we've mentioned, um, 65% of college women drink compared to 70% of college men. So that's pretty narrow, 5% gap. And then for smoking, it's even narrower with 24.6% of college women smoking compared to 26.5% of college men smoking. And I would guess that that nar- narrower gender gap has to do with appetite suppression effects from cigarettes. But that's just my commentary. Yeah, could be. Uh, the study points out that girls and young women are more likely to be depressed, more likely to consider and commit suicide than boys, and are more likely to have been abused. And all of these things tie into substance use and abuse. And it might actually be easier for girls to get their hands on alcohol if they're underage, cigarettes if they're underage, and drugs if they are of any age, because they are illegal. Right. Well, one thing, you, you you mentioned appetite suppressant with cigarettes and the gender gap there. What I thought was very surprising was, you know, girls are more likely to diet and have eating disorders than boys. And girls who engage in unhealthy dieting behaviors drink significantly more alcohol than non-dieters. But when they asked the study participants about their drinking habits, half did not know that alcohol contributes to weight gain. 
And 5.7% actually thought that drinking alcohol helps you lose weight. So we've got some miseducation. We need to educate about More substances. Education. Exactly. Can we beam our podcast into, into, into people's schools? brains? <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure that's in the future, the near future. <laughs> podcast school. And then there is the issue of whether or not um, mothers smoke or drink while they are pregnant. Um, if so, their daughter is much more likely to do both. There is a very significant and strong link between prenatal exposure to smoking and drinking to the offspring smoking and drinking. Right. And it's, the link is stronger for girls mm-hmm. than boys, which I didn't know. Yeah. And at the same time, I, uh, and again, this is just my social commentary, I wonder if it is... Also, um, if if that celebrity culture plus addiction and the whole whole celebrity rehab mm-hmm. trend and how it is, I mean, you know, it's a new week, a new blog post, a new a new celebrity with some kind of debilitating addiction, and I wonder if that kind of a connection to celebrity is also not doing a disservice to younger girls who idolize. Celebrities, yeah. And there's the culture you're into. I remember uh, right after I graduated college, a friend of mine pointed out that, you know, ha- he, he was exaggerating, but he was like, you know, half the people I know in college are alcoholics. They just don't know it. It's not until they graduate and get out in the real world. And they're in a normal sort of structured situation with a job and everything that they realize, oh, maybe I have a problem. Maybe it's not normal to drink all, all day, every day. Yeah. And to binge drink. Yeah. We're not talking about having one glass of wine, having a beer. Okay, no big deal. But it's, it is that, that excessive and constant behavior. Um, and I, I think it's worth thinking twice about, uh, these addiction pathways. And I'm, mm-hmm. uh, it is heartening too to know that the medical community, um, really does want to puzzle out why we become addicted and specifically why men and women become addicted in, through different routes. Mm-hmm. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah. And, uh, treatment. Different treatments are very important. And for female smokers out there, pay attention to your menstrual cycle. I hadn't heard that before. Yeah, I'm going to have to figure out exactly what's up with the lute. Not that I smoke, but now I'm curious about what the luteal cycle is. I'm going to look more into this. When it's harder for you to uh, to kick your addiction. That's probably, you know what, during your luteal cycle, I bet you start buying a bunch of trolls. <laughs> I bet you start eating all that hair that you that you eat. This is fictional. Those are Caroline's <laughs> addictions we've been talking about are purely fictional. Mine are mostly like chocolate. Really typical, typical Kathy. <laughs> Coffee and chocolate. Chocolate and romance novels. Yeah. Oh, God, I'm so glad I don't have a cat. So we've talked about all of these addictive pathways, and we we're, we don't mean to leave you hanging out there, but we are following up with our next episode, which will be on rehab and what kinds of specific rehabilitation practices work for men and women. Who was Betty Ford? Um, and and how the rehab culture that we have today has sprung up. So tune in for that next time on Stuff Mom Never Told You. But in the meantime, send us your letters. Momstuff at discovery.com is where you can send them if you have anything addiction-related to, to let us know. And in the meantime, we've got a couple of letters to read as well. I have one here from Lauren, who has a fantastic addiction to running. Did you like that segue, Caroline? That's excellent. She just gave me a little thumbs up. All right, Lauren writes, Thank you so much for your podcast on women marathoners. I myself am a runner and got a lot out of this one. 
When I first started running, I ran with a group of girls, but I didn't think much about it. Now I'm training for my second Chicago marathon, and I'm very excited about it. The thing is, I've never considered myself a girl when I run. When I run with a group of people, we are all just people. My running group is now people of all ages, races, backgrounds, both men and women. And we don't classify ourselves by any of these traditional characteristics. We are runners and defined by our accomplishments and goals. As such, it never occurred to me that women weren't allowed to do this. I can't imagine my life without running. Coincidentally, before I started, I thought running a marathon was completely insane and could not understand what made people crazy enough to want to run that far. So thank you to Lauren. And this one is from Rose about our Our Gay Households More Egalitarian episode. She says, I thought it was really cool that you both said that all couples could learn something from the research and ideas that you discussed. As a lesbian, I feel that the freedom to negotiate the balance of power and responsibilities in my relationship with women is a real privilege and has enabled me to examine my own strengths and weaknesses and really try and figure out how I can best contribute to a relationship rather than falling back on what is expected of my gender. One area where I really noticed this difference in power and responsibility was when my wife and I got married last year. We planned the wedding together and really were a team at all points, doing the guest list, addressing envelopes, picking a venue, choosing suits and dresses for our attendants, flowers, favors... We split a few tasks. I researched DJs while she researched cakes, for example. But tasks were pretty evenly distributed. This is a big contrast to how I've seen straight friends plan their weddings. I usually see the bride, along with her mother, mother mother-in-law, and friends, doing most of the inviting and quote-unquote design tasks, while the groom participates only at the final stage of these decisions to give final approval or pick out a few options presented to him. Grooms do seem to participate more when it comes to food and music, maybe because women feel men have more expertise in those areas, question mark? Obviously, not all weddings work this way, but I thought this was one example of a life event where expected gender roles often play a big part in how men and women participate differently. I think in general, as more gay couples get married and structure their weddings and marriages differently, all couples will benefit from a little more freedom to customize and create structures that work best for them and their lives, rather than adhere to what is expected. So thanks to everyone who has written in. Momstuff at discovery.com is where you can send your letters. And don't forget to tune into the next podcast where we will we will answer all of your questions about whether or not rehab or, or addiction, I should say, can be effectively treated with rehab. And in the meantime, you can check in with us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Momstuff Podcast. And you can read up on addiction at our home website. It's HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?